Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. So today, episode 132, have you used Lightning Network yet, and would you use it in Lightning Gaming? Today's episode is with Christian Moss, but first, a word for the sponsors of the show. So firstly, go and look into Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. Really impressive exchange. They are renowned for their focus on security. They provide a high-quality platform, lots of trading volume, low fees, no minimum or hidden fees. They offer 24-7 support. They offer best-in-class accounting, reconciliation, reporting, and just recently, they've got Kraken Pro mobile app. Kraken Pro delivers all the security and features you love about the Kraken Exchange in a beautiful mobile-first design for advanced Bitcoin trading on the go. Don't forget, there's Kraken OTC Desk for those seeking a more private, personalized service for large block trades. There is also Kraken Margin, up to five times, long and short, and Kraken Futures, up to 50 times leverage to benefit from price swings or hedge your price risk. Go and check them out, kraken.com. This episode also brought to you by Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital are a Bitcoin financial services company empowering customers with financial freedom and control. All their products are built on the foundation of multi-signature and they've got a really cool approach with collaborative custody, giving users control over their private keys and you also get a financial partner and financial services. So Unchained offer two of three multi-signature vaults and you can secure your Bitcoin for the long term with this and if you ever need to access liquidity without selling your Bitcoin, Unchained collateralized loans offer you a unique option all bitcoin is stored on chain dedicated multi-sig addresses it's never rehypothecated, and you can share in the security by holding one of three keys i'm really impressed with unchained they're offering excellent services they've released valuable content and they've got open source tools such as caravan and hermit i think you'll enjoy partnering with them so go and look them up at unchained-capital.com next it's bitcoin outlet just now rebranding to 21x.io 21X delivers rare and extraordinary merchandise to warriors of Bitcoin. Outstanding design is not just blindly slapping your logo on any object available. At 21X, every product carried is a work of art with a thoughtful design, and in keeping with the ethos of Bitcoin, all products created are limited edition. Once the product sells out, that's all folks. So 21X is a sister company to Canada's Bull Bitcoin. Both companies are Bitcoin maximalists through and through. They only support Bitcoin. So this core belief has led them to align with other unapologetically maximalist companies. So if you want to rock some merch from a designer with an actual moral compass and unwavering maximalist views, head to 21x.io and grab yourself some of the best damn Bitcoin apparel on the planet. Also look into givebitcoin.io, the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Have you ever given Bitcoin to people before and then they've lost it? Sometimes they just don't know what they're receiving. And that's why there's a lot of value with Give Bitcoin because you can time lock that Bitcoin for one to five years. And every month for the first year, Give Bitcoin delivers a lesson from a world-class curriculum with input from many well-known Bitcoiners such as Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Jan Pritzker, and others. I'm also an advisor. I have a small equity stake and I'm also providing input into their curriculum as well. And you can also get Bitcoin as a present for birthdays, Christmas, graduation, weddings, Put it on your wish list at givebitcoin.io. I really think givebitcoin.io can have a positive impact on Bitcoin adoption and understanding, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. So my guest today is Christian Moss, or if you're on Twitter, you'll know him as Mandel Duck. 
Now, Christian's done a lot of work in terms of writing Bitcoin apps and games in particular, and he's got a lot of cool ideas. And as he is recently co-founding this new company, Zebedee, I thought it'd be good to get him on and get his thoughts around Lightning as applied to gaming. I think this is a very exciting opportunity over the next few years, so I'm really excited to see where that goes. So here is the interview. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Chris, so uh, obviously had the chance to meet you earlier this year and a couple of times actually in uh, Tokyo yep. back then and also uh, at some of the Bitcoin conferences, most recently the Lightning Conference. Obviously, I, I know you, but uh, take, a, take a couple minutes and just let the listeners know a bit about your background in Bitcoin and uh, Bitcoin development. Yeah, sure. I actually started in um, your neck of the woods. Um, I was actually working in Sydney, Australia. I was working for like a kind of an app development company basically they just they built apps for anybody who walked walked through the door and had like about you know 50 grand in cash and an idea we build apps so um most of my apps I, I did all sorts i did games i did like more basically i would build apps for people who wanted to be build the next uber or something right all, all random stuff and then one guy came in and said he wanted us to make like a bitcoin app and i had no idea what bitcoin was and um my coworker who sat next to me just he swiveled around in his chair with a grin on his face. He was like the secret libertarian Bitcoiner in the room. And <laughs> yeah, I spoke to him and he said, okay, you know, sit down, let me teach you. And um, that was kind of the first moment when I fell down the rabbit hole. Yeah, so um, I started to build an app for that guy. I think the app's still around, uh, but that's got me interested. And then at the time, I, I, there were no Bitcoin wallets on the iPhone. Uh, so just as a, a hobby, I just built a wallet for the iPhone. Um, there were wallets, but they'd been taken down by Apple. Apple had this back in like 2013, I think, that they just got rid of all apps on the iPhone. Uh, but my job was basically I would submit apps to the um, to the iTunes store. You know, I I do like like you know one every other week for the client. So I kind of knew how to get apps into the App Store. So I just thought I could get one in. I got one in. Um, and that was my first introduction to it. So I made a, a Bitcoin wallet. It wasn't a very good wallet, but it was like 2013. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And then um, then after that, um, I just I had to learn Swift for my job. So Swift was this new programming language that Apple brought out to replace their Objective-C. And um, I had to learn it. And they had this, um, some guy made a tutorial how to make a Flappy Bird. You remember that old game? Um, popular game it's like yeah, Sky, yeah he made it in swift like overnight and made a tutorial so i thought that was a fun way to learn so i kind of made a game that was quite a, a little bit based on that and i thought hey it'd be cool to put bitcoin into this and um yeah so that's uh, i i tried to put bitcoin into it um apple didn't let me put bitcoin into it for, for purchasing things um so i just thought okay well they have this law like this rule that you're not allowed to kind of purchase things with like cryptocurrencies or bitcoin in the app store but it had no rule against sending people bitcoin so i thought okay i i, I just wanted to get bitcoin in the app any way possible so i just made this simple game that people could play and as they played it it would tip them bitcoin who just like throw like a few kind of like you know about a penny at them or something as they were playing the game it was like early days but that was kind of my first introduction into it yeah and um so how did that change over time like bitcoin in 2013 to bitcoin now in 2019 there's been a lot of shifts and changes in the way the culture is and the way bitcoin is viewed how, how, what was your view of that change 
quite a, quite a few changes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So I suppose when I first got into Bitcoin, I was ignorant like everybody else. You know, I was kind of kind of hounded on like the like Bitcoin talk and stuff because I was basically I was, I was like kind of spamming the blockchain. <laughs> I was sending like I had this game that it wasn't popular in like the real world, but it was quite popular in Bitcoin world. So I'd just be sending out all these tiny dust transactions everywhere. And um, I didn't really notice it at the time, but, you know, but uh, yeah, apparently it caused a little bit of controversy. And um, but at the time I was like, you know, I'm paying the fee, it, it, you know, it's all good. Um, yeah, so um, that was kind of I think at the, at the moment I was I, I wasn't I wouldn't say I was I wasn't like philosophically aligned with Bitcoin at the time. It was more just it was a cool technology and I wanted to do cool things with the technology. So as I built the game, I started to talk to the community and I, I started to get an understanding about why it doesn't make sense, for example, to build a game like on chain, you know, because I, I remember very early days of you know, the, the whole um, block size debate. I was thinking that if my tiny app, I'm just one person making a tiny app is like causing all, all these transactions, um, then, you know, say like, just it'll just take another hundred indie game developers to have a similar app, let alone an, an app that you know would become as popular, say, as Flappy Bird, to really cause an issue. So at the time, then this is like 2014 and 15. I was trying to find off-chain solutions then, which short term I just had to do stuff like batching. So um, I was trying to you know batch transactions, make it efficient. Um, I also tried to do off like completely custodial off-chain transactions, but then I got a, a lot of stick from that side as well. And um, and this was causing issues in the games because the games were quite fun and the games were quite popular, but I could see very early on that it wasn't really sustainable. And um, it kind of it kind of stopped me from pushing the game or um, marketing the game because I knew that if, if the game just became super popular like for example it was like shown on the bbc or something like that that i knew that the game you know it, you know the network wouldn't be able to handle it per se um yeah so at the time i i think i i noticed that a lot of people at the time my um similar um i guess c contemporaries who were also building games had the same issue and everybody at that time they seemed to go over to other chains I remember thinking at the time, well, this is very much just kicking the ball down the road, right? I kind of made a prediction. At the time, everybody, when I was there, they were going over to Ethereum at the time, which had just launched, and it was you know, going to solve all the problems. And um, everybody was um, saying, you know, yeah, it's fine. But I, I remember thinking at the time, well, I bet you, give it two or three years, they'll be moving to something else. And now a lot of those same people are moving to EOS or Tron or making their own game. <laughs> So I, I guess how it's evolved over time, I, I think we've really seen, um, in my opinion, um, when I first started in, it, it was well, it was all about trying to build on the base layer, at, at least for novices like myself. And now it seems that we're building. You know, it seems like it's it's okay to make apps and games, but they need to be on like a, a second layer or an application layer. And that's how I feel. That's where we are at the moment. Right, and so it's. It took some years of experimentation and then people are sort of coming around to this idea that, well, we need ways to either do batching or to use off-chain protocols such as, obviously, Lightning Network. And that's where we're you know, going to talk a bit about today with what you guys are doing with 
Zebedee. Uh, and uh, also, actually, uh, one other thing before we get into that, you wrote a cool article well, on the Zebedee Medium page, which is called, Does Bitcoin in Gaming Make Sense? So yeah. do you want to just tell us a little bit about that article and wh- why'd you write it? Yeah, I, I, I wrote it because personally, I, I'm not a big guy for hype. You know, I kind of, um, I'm quite, I like to think I'm a bit of quite skeptical. And I always like to kind of questions my, question the fundamental assumptions like, you know, does it make sense? Should we be putting Bitcoin in gaming? I think there's a good argument that you really shouldn't. And um, I think that's fine. But I just wanted to explore that argument, you know, does gaming, uh, does Bitcoin in gaming make sense? So at the time I wrote the article, I wasn't 100% certain myself. It it was more kind of um, an essay in a way, just to kind of um, explore for myself. But I I just had this idea that um, I I kind of have two concepts when it comes to gaming and Bitcoin. Uh, One is that I think games, and I go into this in the article, games traditionally um, were used for value transfer between people um it's obviously like you know people play games for fun but the earliest games were all kind of used mainly for gambling you know Uh, but the games weren't specific for gambling so people still play them for fun and people played them without money but all these games kind of had a gambling mode where you know they could attach a value to it to be transferred peer-to-peer and as i wrote the the article i did a bit of um, research and this was kind of true and um, most games had this so most famously cards you know is, is the most famous example but then as I kind of looked how games evolved digitally um, because we had digital games before we had digital payments so the first digital games that we had a lot of them tried to kind of they still had the concept of money in them and money was quite strong so if you think of Mario, you're basically collecting coins, you know, all games had this concept of collecting coins and earning coins. And I kind of felt that that was kind of, you know, it was, um, it was embedded in the idea that people like to play games and they like to get some sort of value. But obviously they couldn't do that at the time because, you know, there were no digital payments. And the only digital payments that came were, you know, in-app purchases, credit cards. So then they tried to kind of, you know, put payments and values back in the game, but it didn't, it wasn't the same. It it wasn't peer to peer. It's just this idea that, you know, you could buy a loot box or something and it, it didn't feel quite right. And, and now I was thinking, well, you know, now that we have something like the lightning network and this peer to peer network for transferring value, maybe that it's kind of, it's continuing kind of one aspect of how games were used in the past. We can actually like, People can play a game and they can play it for fun. Probably most people will just play the game without money. But if they want to kind of make the game a bit more fun, they can, um, you know, stream Bitcoin b- between themselves. And um, and and then it, it kind of reminds me when I was a kid at Christmas, we'd, you know, we'd get a lot of candy and sweets as presents. And we always used to play Monopoly. And when we played Monopoly, when it wasn't Christmas, we'd just play, you know, with just the normal uh, paper money but at christmas we would use the sweets and candy we got as the money and it just made the game so much fun so it wasn't necessarily about earning money it wasn't strict gambling but the idea that you'd have you know a little bit of value there to kind of make the game a bit more focused or give it a, a bit more incentive so i think that 
like the lowest hanging fruit is just to get that back into gaming. You know, just this idea that people can play a game and not massive amounts, but maybe they could have a few bucks or something. And it just makes the game a bit more fun, right? You know, there's yeah, something to play for. Shot has a bit more meaning. So that was a kind of um, one idea I got. Like, I think Bitcoin in gaming makes sense on an application layer. I'm still very much of the opinion the base layer is, you know, we kind of want, you know, sound money that's, you know, censorship resistant. But I think from an application layer, it, it, it kind of does make sense. Yeah. And so in the article, you talk a little bit about how uh, gaming evolved a little bit. And so, for example, the internet chain evolved and it, it took it away from being a peer-to-peer aspect. Can you touch on what was what your thinking is there? Well, it's just, you know, over not now but you know when games and and the internet first came out mainly on mobile there's no way to send money peer-to-peer you know that was just it right you know i'm sure game companies would have liked to have done that perhaps um i'm not saying that in-app purchases wouldn't exist um i you know i just think they couldn't do peer-to-peer and if if they try to do it in a custodial way it gets complicated because they need to have a license and the the money transmitters, all, all these things. I think there were a few game companies who, who, who tried to do this. Um, I think the Linden dollar in Second Life is a famous example. And a few people have gotten around it, but it's still a bit clunky. It, it's not like, you know, like each game has their own coin. So it's, you know, and these coins have to be traded on a kind of illegal exchange or something. Yeah. So it's kind of clunky. Um, so they were my thoughts. Um, yeah, I did just... I, and I, I think people just generally forgot about the uh, idea of, you know, that the games could even do that. When if you go back to playing cards, like it's, you know, you go back 100, 200 years, it, it's obvious, you know, that's what you did with games. If you're an adult and you're down the pub, you know, you sweeten the deal a bit. But as we have digital games, that's kind of disappeared and people just forgotten about it. And if you even just say the concept to people that, if, you know, that did you know that you can play a game and you can stream payments? They don't, they don't even know, they don't even know what you're talking about, right? It's... Um, yeah, so that's kind of what I meant there. Um, I also have another kind of, in, like, I, I think it's interesting, but another angle about gaming and Bitcoin, which I think it's um, it's still something I'm exploring. But um, I kind of think that, like, for me, still the most important thing about Bitcoin is, you know, basically I can be my own bank. I don't have to trust any third parties. But I, I also find myself, like, in... I also kind of find myself like living in a first world country. I don't really need to use Bitcoin day to day, but I want to use Bitcoin day to day, if you know what I mean. Yeah. When I go to <laughs> Sumo, I can't use it. So I'm frustrated. I want to use it, but I can't. And I kind of think gaming, it, it could kind of be like martial arts or something, right? You know, people study martial arts because I guess they want to feel like they can defend themselves in a fight, but they don't get into fights every day. So they kind of do sparring. I think gaming, in a way, it helps the ecosystem. It keep, it's like we're sparring with Bitcoin. So we can develop these tools. We can use Bitcoin for casual things. And then say that we really need Bitcoin one day. We've got that skill because we've been practicing and that infrastructure has been built. So I kind of think, in a way, gaming is a great way to bootstrap and keep Bitcoin alive, You know, to give it an ecosystem in the first world. Because otherwise, if we didn't do gaming, people maybe wouldn't have much of a reason to use Bitcoin every day apart from just hodling right and then pe- people might forget how to use it they might forget to turn the node on all the, all these kind of things and then when they really need 
to use it. They'll be rusty, as it were. Um, so that's kind of another thought I had. You know, it's just a great way to onboard people. It's a great way to keep you kind of um, uh, nimble with Bitcoin. That makes sense. Yeah, so people have to learn how to use Lightning, for example. They're going to have to learn a little bit around, okay, how do I manage my channels? Yeah. How do I uh, refill or refund the sure. channels? Little things like that. Yeah, um, that's what kind of games, in a way, why I guess animals and humans play games in a way. You kind of, it's training in a way, but it's a, it, it's a fun way to train. So I think, you know, a similar argument could be made with, with Bitcoin and gaming. Mm, yeah, potentially, yeah. And I think, so I guess let's get into what we think could be enabled then with Lightning that was not, possible before yeah i guess my first answer there is i like to say i don't know because i want just something completely that you know we haven't thought of or we can't think of yet will appear in a few years so i'm sure there are these hidden gems out there that in a few years once we've built some first prototype games somebody go oh hang on a minute this is a really cool idea Uh, but at the moment i think the two things i'm quite interested in one is just streaming payments between players, like non-custodially, and um, okay, w- working on a game at Zebedee that does that, like a, a Street Fighter style game, whereas people punch each other. Basically, you know, they punches like a Satoshi or ten Satoshis, whatever they set, and you know, if player one punches player two, and then player two gets a Satoshi from player one, completely non-custodially, and um, vice versa. So I think that's really cool. Another thing which kind of came about from the Lightning Conference itself was um, the idea of audience participation and kind of the idea that you can, because like I think esports and people watching other people playing games is quite popular now. You, you know, yeah, you get people just go online on Twitch and just watch people play games. You know, you know, it's like watching you know football on on TV. And I, I kind of think you know, obviously. People like to cheer, but people want to kind of interact with the player. So at the Lightning Conference, we we quickly put together this demo that when two people were playing, the other people were watching, and they could actually stream. They could send stats to the players to give them like a boost of health, or you know, to give them a power up, or you know, they can kind of interact and help them out. I think that's quite cool that you can kind of like break kind of the the fourth wall or whatever wall. Yeah, break that barrier a bit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's I'm quite interested in. Yeah, so I guess tell us a little bit about that game as well, how that game came together. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually the game itself. It was um, last year. Last year? No, this year. Anyway, it was about a, a year ago. I think there was a lightning hackathon. There was a virtual lightning hackathon last year. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was last year. And um, no, sorry, there was a hackathon in New York. I wanted to attend it, but I couldn't. But I just thought, why don't I just do the hackathon at home and just try and keep the same hours and just, you know, just it wasn't a virtual hackathon. But I thought, you know, whilst they're doing it, I've got a free weekend. I had this idea before, you know, this idea of building like a Street Fighter type game. Um, so, yeah, I'll just try and make it over the weekend. And I, I made a demo and kind of got that working. It was a bit clunky. And then... Um, then there was the Lightning Hackathon for Bitcoin 2019, where I kind of um, got the old code out and I, I kind of completed that game. I also built a couple of other games. I made three games for the Lightning Hackathon there. And uh, I was lucky enough to to win that. And the game got a little bit better. And then from um, winning the Lightning um, Hackathon, I, you know, I got, um, it kind of got me... Um, 
potential to um, start and join Zebedee. And now we've got the chance and the funding to develop the game um, um, to like a fully production level. But yeah, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I think it seemed like quite a simple, basic concept. I thought it was a good way to demonstrate lightning. It's quite easy to explain, you know. You know, I punch you, you get a sat. You punch me, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, so that was kind of how it came about. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell us a little bit actually how Zebedee came together and some of the concepts around that. Yeah, well, actually, Zebedee was actually kind of, um, it was started by um, my um, co-founder, Simon. And uh, I think he had this idea of, um, you know, he wanted to do, like, he thought that lightning and gaming made sense. Um, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but yeah, I, I, this is the impression I got. You know, and he would, you know, he he's not a developer himself, so he just wanted to find a couple of developers that could help him realize at the time, I was actually working for a Japanese company building something quite similar, but for various reasons, that company didn't work out, and I was kind of free. And just as that company didn't work out, I got contacted by Simon, who just basically said, hey, you know, he didn't know that I was doing it, but that thing that you were doing, do you want to continue it? It kind of sounded like to me, and uh, and you can come on board as a co-founder. So he contacted me, and I said, yeah, I'm cool. You know, I'm on board with this. He had also contacted um, Andre Nevis, who's a, a, a great guy, and, and you should definitely try and get him on the podcast. And, I, you know, I kind of knew Andre from Twitter, so he seemed like a cool guy, you know, and I, yeah, I just said, yeah, sure, you know, we were both on board. Um, Simon managed to secure some funding, and, um, yeah, that's kind of how it, it came together. I was, you know, quite lucky, and it all happened quite quickly, and, uh, yeah, now we've started. And uh, we're building cool stuff. Yeah, right. And uh, so at the Lightning Conference, or rather one or two days just before, Michael Ferguson from the London um, Bitcoin Devs Group or organizer, he organized a, like a presentation night where people came and presented. And I saw you guys obviously went up and did your presentation with, about Zebedee and, okay, here's what we're doing. And you had a couple of different prongs. So it was a bit interesting because it wasn't just, hey, we're just making Lightning games. We're also going to try and make it easier for other people to implement Lightning into their games. Tell us a little bit about some of those ideas you presented. Yeah, so I guess it's probably important to clarify that Zebedee isn't actually a gaming studio. We're actually, we want to focus on making the tools and the SDKs for game developers to make games. We are making a game and, you know, um, actually my sole job at Zebedee is to make the game along with a couple of other people. So we do plan to make a professional game, but we kind of understand that um, making a, a game and maintaining a game, you really need to be a dedicated studio to do that. You know, so the idea is that we're going to make kind of these flagship games to basically show what you can do with the SDK and the APIs and and what you can do with Lightning. But we really want um, other gaming studios who are non-Bitcoin, but they really know how to make games and do games well and kind of, you know, get a game to market. And we, we, we want them to kind of be flagship games of our um, tools as well. Um, I guess the main problem we see at the moment is it's quite hard to convince um, normal game developers to be interested in Bitcoin because most people have only ever heard of Bitcoin. They just, it's you know, I think most people probably never heard of the Lightning Network. Like they've heard of Bitcoin, 
most gamers have heard of Bitcoin because it made their graphics cards more expensive. <laughs> well, not Bitcoin. That was like, I tell them that was something else. It was like Ethereum and stuff. But that's the kind of impression they have. And then they, their first idea of Bitcoin is, well, in-app purchases work for me. Why would I you know, want to use Bitcoin? I guess you could say, well, yeah, you could you know, save 30% that you don't have to send to Apple or Steam. But it's not really enough to try and convince them. But they're not aware of the other cool innovative things that you can do with Bitcoin, such as kind of esports, audience participation, you know, streaming between players, sending the players Bitcoin, you know, as rewards. So the idea is that we are going to build the games that kind of show that. And that's a good example for the other game, you know, the game developers to go, hey, oh, okay, wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't know you could do that. Oh, it would be cool if we could do that in our game. And so that's kind of um, why we're we're building the games and the APIs and the SDKs. Yeah, that's cool. And I think it's also crucial to recognize that these games have to be good enough in their own right. Because if these games are only played amongst Bitcoin and Lightning people, well, that's a very small audience, right? And so I, I think that's also part of it, that recognition that the game has to be really fun in its own right to sort of draw in non-Bitcoin people who then can learn about Bitcoin in that process. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of... um. Yeah, that was kind of a decision on my part when I made the game. Like, you know, I, I could have called the game like Block Wars or Bitcoin Battle or something, which was, you know, but I kind of, we just kind of want to make a game, you know, that obviously non-Bitcoiners would like, but they could they could enjoy it, but they could easily see how Bitcoin is used. So um, I think streaming payments is, is a little bit complicated at the moment to show newbies. But one thing that we plan to do in the game is that, and this is why I found successful in my original games when I first got into Bitcoin in like 2013, 14, was the idea is that people could play the game and they just got Bitcoin for free, which is, you know, a, a great way, you know, like they play a game, then they get this kind of like these Bitcoin for free and, you know, it's, there's no risk. Okay. Okay. What can I do this Bitcoin? No, I can use it in this other game or I can send it to somebody. It's a great onboarding mechanism. So that's, you know, another important feature of the game. Um, yeah, but but I do have to admit that, like, you know, we kind of understand at the moment, like, we don't expect our game to compete with, like, the AAA game studios. Like, we're not going to kind of, you know, um, just we're not going to replace Call of Duty anytime soon. Um, but we just, you know, I think we want to make good games that, you know, that people enjoy and, um, you know, that can be popular and just they can get the kind of get the the ecosystem rolling and, and get the attention of, you know, the kind of the smaller studios. And once the smaller studios start to use it, then maybe that gets the attention of the bigger studios. I've actually, in my previous consulting work, I've actually spoken um, to l- larger gaming studios when I was in Japan. And uh, I kind of did, I actually demoed Lightning at Tokyo Game Show and I spoke to some people. But like the, the larger gamer studios, they're not really interested in giving power back to the users at this point of time. They kind of want to control things and they, you know, they have legal restrictions and they're quite large, so they're not going to do anything risky. Um, but the smaller, the indie game studios were the ones that were more interested. And I kind of think that's where it probably has to come from. 
Right. So it might be more like a way that a challenger brand can differentiate themselves and get new players in to say, hey, look, we've got this new thing that the big players don't want or they don't have a reason to put that in yet, but we do want to. Yeah. I think that's how technology generally evolves. You know, kind of this, you know, a scrappy startup comes out of nowhere and disrupts the big players. Um, So yeah, I think that makes sense. Obviously, if Nintendo want to add Lightning Network, short come to us, we're not going to say no. (laughs) yeah that's cool um so then what's your thoughts what are your thoughts around platforms so there are obviously pc games console games mobile games what are you focusing on everything well so the games at the moment are built with um unity is is kind of the technology used it's kind of what 95 percent of indie game developers use so we're building it with unity and unity just lets you build to like many platforms so there's not much there's not a lot of work involved to kind of build for different platforms obviously i kind of think mobile is important in this day of age um but obviously mobile can be more restrictive due to apple's policies um you know um so my kind of view is that we're definitely going to get something working on mobile i it seems that through my past experience and i've actually spoken to like the app review team a few times um i think like Sending Satoshis between players is fine. Obviously, there's going to be some restrictions on countries that you're not allowed to do it, and you know it's going to be targeted at different age, but that's okay. Sending Bitcoin to players is fine. Um, the only thing you definitely can't do is purchase things with Bitcoin, because obviously that is kind of you know it's replacing the app store or the in-app purchase mechanism. But to be honest, that's not that interesting anyway. I think you know it's it's not something new, so I'm not too fussed about that. Uh, having said that, you know, Apple, it's Apple's rules. So Apple can always like change the rules at any time, which is why we're also building for, um, you know, just desktop um, uh, web as well. I'm quite interested in mobile web. I think that's, it's it's limited at the moment, but it's definitely getting there. And mobile web, you know, you kind of have the advantages of mobile, but with no restrictions. Um, but it's, you know, I think, surprise, surprise, Apple on their Safari mobile browser kind of accidentally make mobile web games difficult to run. I'm not sure they do that on purpose, but it's it's kind of it's uh, interesting. But yeah, um, but yeah, I think we just you know we want to target as, as many platforms as possible. But yeah, mobile is I think is a, a a good way to reach the most people in this day and age. Right. And uh, what about on the Google Play side? Are they restrictive there as well? Similarly, with the Apple side less restrictive than apple in a way apple generally so apple they manually review your apps as you submit them so you actually get a guy in a room who looks at them um so you kind of know when you first submit it um, if it's going to be rejected or not google they tend it's i'm not sure but it seems to be an automated review and what you find with google is that you know your game will just be taken down like a month later Uh, but in my experience google are a lot less strict but the good thing about android is you don't have to go through you know the google play store you can go through like fdroid or other is option but with apple you kind of there's, there's no other easy way for a person to install an app that apple haven't approved unfortunately um but i don't know i kind of think you know it's like again bitcoin wallets were banned on apple at the time but eventually they seem to tend to come around they're a bit slow but i think apple just wants to do a lot of d- due diligence and just you know they're knee-jerk reaction is just to ban these games and these apps and then once they've looked into it they tend to you know add them back um i had this issue uh, 
a lot with Apple in the early days. It was quite funny, you know. I remember actually speaking to the app review team. They banned one of my apps, and she was explaining, and um, she was saying, well, because she obviously, she wasn't like, didn't know anything about Bitcoin or blockchain, but she was like reading from a sheet. So the approved currencies we're allowed to approve are the Litecoin, <laughs> Bitcoin, Ethereum, and uh, the DAO token. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at one point, the DAO token was an Apple approved virtual currency. And that was, and then I think a few days later, the whole the DAO hack happened. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, Apple are over the place. It's, it's, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> So I guess the other big one then from a, like maybe from the app store or maybe from a legal perspective is all this kind of money transmission laws stuff. Do you have, do you see much of a burden or hurdle there? Um, sure. You know, um, it's again, at the moment, everything's a gray zone, right? It's, you know, it, it's, um, I think, again, at the moment, it seems to be if it's player to player, non-custodial makes things a lot easier. So actually, there's an incentive. It's quite interesting. So we were talking about this in our last team meetup. Actually, in, there's a strong incentive for us to be non-custodial, which is actually good for for the ecosystem because I think a lot of companies, if it you know if it was less strict about people being custodial, you probably get. I feel you get a lot more people doing custodial services because in a way it's easier, especially with Lightning. You know, it makes things a lot easier to be custodial. But in a way, we kind of we don't want to be custodial because of the reg you know the um the regulation so in a way it's forcing us to be more non-custodial uh, having said that we actually will have a custodial kind of kind of onboarding mechanism just to kind of help you know because obviously we want to onboard people to, to lightning and obviously at the moment it's hard to kind of do that in a complete non-custodial way so we ha- do have like a small custodial onboarding mechanism but that's going to be limited you know to very sm- small amounts and things like this um yeah but it, so just as it goes to money transmitter license you know um as long as you're not touching fiat and you kind of non-custodial it it, it, it seems to be okay yeah. but it, having said that it is a gray area so yeah you know, yeah yeah. Change. yeah no that's cool and uh i'd be i'd love to hear a bit more about how you're going to configure that part of it in terms of custodial versus non-custodial so yep. how so obviously i guess the easy way at the start is if that user doesn't know about bitcoin they've just got like a custodial amount just for a small amount then how would they progress and how would they configure it to be non-custodial yeah um so again we are still kind of working out the details. So we're actually building the platform now. Um, but I guess the simplest idea is that, you know, a user will download um, the game and they'll download our wallet and they can just get some sats, you know, like as they play the game, they can just get some sats free. And obviously that's going to be custodial. It's going to be a small amount. And then we're going to have like a voucher system, you know, where, you know, players or people or we can give players a small amount of sats like through a voucher um, system at the moment, what we're planning to do to incentivize kind of the non-custodial route is we we, we want to work. So uh, another thing I, I should make clear: we're all, we're building a wallet for our games. But again, we don't necessarily want to be the only wallet company that supports this. We kind of we we have to build this wallet at first, just so we can like build the protocols for like streaming stats between players and all the cool things we want to do, but we're actually working with a few other wallets and want to work with some of the bigger wallets to kind of basically, we'd love them to do that more than us. 
So I think there are a few wallets out there, like Breeze, for example, is a, is a great kind of non-custodial that seems to make kind of onboarding pretty easy. Like, you know, they kind of open a nice channel to you and you don't have to worry about liquidity. So I kind of think as the Lightning network evolves, I think the wallet companies are going to solve this kind of uh, onboarding issue, you know, you know, basically make it easy for non-Bitcoin savvy newbies to be able to use a non-custodial Lightning wallet and not have to worry about streaming and then once they've got like satoshis in a custodial fashion we can do you know we can do some cool things with you know um uh, with swaps and stuff you know and lightning loops where we can transfer their balance another thing is the um you know i don't go into too much detail but um the idea that you can charge higher fees you know for say custodial where non-custodial, you can lower the fees, so you're kind of incentivizing people to move to non-custodial. Another thing is you have like limits, you know. So if somebody wants to put like you know like you know I don't know fifty bucks or something, then you know they've got to like go to like non-custodial mode or something. But if they just want, want to get into it and just get a few like dollars, I think it's fine to be you know um, custodial, you know. And then if they want to get, get lower fees and larger amounts and um, we're going to give them an easy on-ramp to kind of to use the non-custodial wallet. So that's kind of what we're thinking at the moment. Um, obviously, we're building this out, so um, we're, going to, we're going to work out the details. But it seems to be, it seems to be. I think it's getting better, and I think it's a quite solvable problem. Awesome. And like I said, yeah, go on. We don't want to be custodial because it, it causes more work for us. You know, we have to obviously worry about the legal. You know, and the regulatory um, aspect so yeah it sounds like there's a bit of a there's pros and cons i guess so it might be technologically more difficult to build non-custodial but from a legal and regulatory point of view it's better so yeah 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 i prefer the technical challenge more than the legal challenge i can say that <laughs> <laughs> nice well said and uh one other question around streaming versus batching for payments and in even on lightning for example, rather than like sometimes when you want to route a payment on Lightning, that might still take 10 seconds or a bit more. What's your view there? Is it something like at the end of each round you would do a payment or you know during the fight or during the gameplay that you would literally be streaming payments? Yeah, um, I think the main thing that, well, kind of, so you can stream payments and if the small amounts, you can kind of have, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, in the UI of the game, you can kind of show the payments are streaming, and you can kind of show in the UI that it's streamed, even if it hasn't confirmed, and then just assuming that it will confirm in a second. If it doesn't, you update it. I think this is what Twitter does with its likes. So if you see like Twitter, you have all these likes going up. Twitter can't actually know how many likes are actually doing it in real time. So I think Twitter has this algorithm where it kind of shows likes, but a second later, it kind of updates it to the real amount. So it might go lower, but you don't really see it. The UI just kind of shows likes going. So that's kind of one way to show it on the UI point of view. You know, it'll look like it's streaming. So, you know, in the game, it'll just say, you've got a Satoshi, you've got a Satoshi. But really, you've got a Satoshi. You've got a Satoshi. It's not a big deal, right? You know, they can still play the game. And, you know, it's small amounts. So you don't have to necessarily worry about it being confirmed as you hit. So I think it's acceptable. Another thing is that we are, um, as part of our API and tools, we basically, we're going to have this kind of connectivity module, if that makes sense. The idea that we're going to have, make sure that our players 
are well connected to other players and developers that use our APIs and SDKs, they're also well connected to us and the other players. So that way, you know, there shouldn't be too many hops. And when you're streaming, the amounts are quite low that you don't really need to do that many hops. You know, if you're streaming like a few Satoshis, generally you find it routes pretty easy. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think in practice is not a bigger problem. So the idea that, you know, like we're going to have like as a game studio, we're going to have, you know, make sure our node is connected to the popular wallets and make sure that game developers who use our software and link their, so our software will let them link their own node and it'll also work with them BTC pay as well. So a, a game developer can link their BTC pay to our API and SDK and we'll kind of make sure, Hey, you know what? Let's open a channel together, you know, so, to make sure that your players are linked to us. So streaming should be quite smooth and um, fast and um yeah, easy. So that's kind of how, how we're approaching it at the moment. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's sort of like these relationships, if you will, it makes sense for people for there to obviously have channels between these two parties, right? Like with you yeah. and Breeze or Zap or these other yeah. big providers. Sure. Yeah. And you kind of see that happening already. There's incentives for everybody to be well connected just because as a merchant or, you know, a game developer, you want to give your, your players, you know, good kind of a good experience so that one of the simplest things that you can do is make sure you're you've got a few channels open to the the larger wallets you know and 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 that also kind of helps kind of make this net mesh of you know nodes that kind of decentralizes it a bit more so i think i think all the incentives are in place just just to kind of solve this problem yeah. And what about finding developers for the cause and teammates, right? So you've got the three co-founders. How's the team expanded? And are they also Bitcoiners or are they, are they just developers who then learn about Bitcoin? Yeah. So we've we've got um, a couple of, a few new hires, more than a couple. So we've got a designer, we've got um, a couple of developers and another developer coming on shortly. Um, I, t- t- to be honest, because it's Lightning and Lightning is kind of like, the, the hot girl in the room we've had you know it's not too hard to kind of find like we've had developers say you know hey you know like you know i was on this amount before but i'm willing to work for this amount just to work on lightning you know so i i think obviously there is obviously there's a shortage of developers you can't just go on like linkedin and like you know whatever find lightning people but i think myself and andre and, and simon the other two co-founders we kind of know the good people in the space so we've, you know, we've reached out to people that we know are good and people have reached out to us and people are quite excited to be on board, you know. And so at the moment, it's okay. I think obviously, we're, you know, we're still a startup. So, we, you know, we're kind of being lean. So we don't, you know, we're not looking for like, you know, like 20 developers. I think as we grow, if we want to have, you know, 10 or 20, 30 developers, that way it'll become more challenging, I think, to find people. But at the moment, I think there's, I think to be honest, a lot of Bitcoiners have, been waiting for it to because you know um there's not a lot of money in being a bitcoin maximalist if you're looking for work you know i think a lot of bitcoin developers will tell you this you know they've had to you know if they've wanted to work on bitcoin but the only jobs they've got on are on like you know um you know other coins for example and now i think with with and i think bitcoin in a way like the only job you could really have was an exchange because you know bitcoin wasn't an application layer but now with lightning you've got these companies who are building applications and uh, attempting to build um 
services and startups. So I think now there's going to be a you know a, a wave of you know um, lightning based companies who are just going to be sweeping up these Bitcoin developers who've been long waiting for some paid Bitcoin work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although I think it's great to see the ecosystem starting to build and grow. Uh, let's talk a little yeah. bit about Lightning in general. So what are some of your favorite tools? Uh, what's your favorite implementation? What do you what do you normally use? Yeah, I, I, I don't really have a favorite implementation per se. I think I, I, start, I actually started with C Lightning when it first came out. And I actually moved to LND because at the time, LND had a better API. C Lightning API was still a bit kind of, at the time, it was sparse, but I heard it, it's much better now. So I moved to LND because I started working with... LND, I just basically, that's what I know. So that's kind of what I, I work with at the moment. But the other implementations also seem great. I'm quite interested in like Rust, um, Rust, Rust Lightning per se. But LND is quite good at the moment. Um, it's quite easy to kind of, you know, to read the documentation. They've got a great Slack group. And, you know, if you've ever got an issue, you can go in there and like somebody will help you within minutes sometime. So, yeah, I quite like to use LND. It's, it's kind of my main stack. Um, yeah, um, I guess wallets, I can, uh, wallets, I guess I, I generally, I use the one I made myself. To be honest. <laughs> so with the wallets, you previously did Pebble wallet, right? And then I think there was also no Utah yeah. wallet. Tell us a little bit about your experiences there. Okay. So, well, this is when I, I worked for a company in Japan that I was, I, like I said, we, I was trying to build lightning gaming at that company and the company itself was actually it was actually more interested in tokens and stuff and other things which is why i, I kind of didn't work out but i started to build a wallet and i started to build games like you know um similar games you know but lightning games on that and um that kind of didn't work out but i built the wallet and i got it out there you know and people were using it they liked it i think it, it was the at the time it was the only wallet that linked with btc pay server you know, um, on Android or something like that. So it was quite, I, I, I kind of built it for myself as well because, you know, I wanted a wallet that could connect to my BTC pay server on Android, so I built that. So I built, and that was called Pebble, and that was actually open source. And then um, because it didn't work out with the company, um, I actually do con some consulting work for Nyuta um, as well, which are, they are a Japanese company who made a, a Lightning implementation, Tarmigan. And uh, they wanted a wallet. So at the moment, I'm kind of consulting with them to work on it. So Nayuta Wallet, it's changed quite a lot, but it was originally based on Pebble. And Nayuta Wallet is actually pretty cool. And I think they're actually coming out with an announcement this week, or I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, but it's actually the first mobile lightning wallet that has a fully validating node in there as well. Right. Which... Um, so you can actually, it's, you know, it, it's, it's quite, it's still experimental, but it's just, it, but it, it, it works. Um, but it's, um, it's kind of like the, um, uh, the HTC, um, that Exodus blockchain phone thing. Exodus. Yes. But it's only Bitcoin and it has a lightning wallet in that links to your L and D. So in a way it's, you know, it doesn't have like their secure hardware, but it uses your, your iPhones or, or your, sorry, it uses your Android's secure kind of um enclave so yeah it's, it's pretty cool you you can basically run a fully validating lightning node on your phone and it also has this um this hybrid mode that the idea is that obviously running a full node all the time 
can be, you know, it can be quite heavy on your phone. So it has this hybrid mode where, where when you start to use it, it will use Neutrino. And the, the full node will sync in the background when you're at home and charging. So when you go home, you plug your phone in and you're on Wi-Fi, then it'll kind of, the full node will start to run. It'll start to sync. And it will actually kind of do some checks on the blocks that the Neutrino has downloaded and just to make sure, you know, they are actually valid. So it's kind of got like this lazy detective mode. Uh, you know, it's still ex- experimental, but I think, you know, um, a lot of the work was done by the the AB Core team. So we kind of, it was built on top of that. But that's kind of my favorite wallet at the moment because, I'm you know, I've got this full node, full, the fully validating node, I should say. It's not a full node because it doesn't like have a full, it's, it's a prune node really. So, um, but yeah, I think that's quite powerful. And yeah, we kind of, um, I think they're open sourcing that as well. So other wallets will be able to implement that as well. So that's kind of my favorite thing at the moment. I feel quite empowered. I've got this whole thing in my pocket, you know. Yeah, that's really cool because there are obviously different styles of wallet in the Lightning Network, right? You've got those that are, they are uh, a Lightning node in the in in the on the phone, but then they might not be as good with routing, say, because you know they might not ha- you know uh, be as mm. easy, or they or you might have different channels, and then it's a bit of an awkward experience because you might have your L and D back home with like your proper channels and then you might have to have like a mobile, right? And then now, then the other approach we're seeing is like the remote control your node back home approach, right? Sure. And then what you're yeah. talking about here is like actually the full node is on the phone and it's just on. Yeah. Well, the way I see it, actually personally, I quite like the approach of everybody just has this box you plug in at home. It's like a router that's like, you know, you plug it in and forget about it. And everybody links to that. I kind of like that approach. But what's actually cool about the full node that Nayuta have built with the Lightning node, it's actually, I think it can make a lot more sense that if you don't think about it, that you're running a full Bitcoin and Lightning node on your phone, you're running it on Android, which that basically means that if anybody's got an Android TV or an Android box or just cheap Android hardware, you can basically download, you, you can basically install or run a full node as an app. So I think it just kind of makes the barrier to, you know, like literally you just download an Android app and then this thing starts syncing. So you could kind of have that at home. You can get this like, this, like I actually did it as a test. I don't recommend it, but I, I bought like a 40 bucks um, Amazon Fire Stick and I wanted to see would Naita Wallet run on that, you know, because that's like 40 bucks. It didn't have too much RAM, but I think it had just enough. So I, I plugged that into my phone, I installed it, and yeah, I just literally had a, a full node running on this $40 stick, you know? Yeah. Um, the only reason I don't recommend it is because I think the type of memory they use, if you kind of hit the database too much, it'll, it could burn out their memory. But the point is that I think it's research in the right direction of just making it easier to run a full node. And if you can get one running on Android and, you know, these cheap Android devices come out, Another thing is that, you know, you might not need to use the full node on your phone, but say you're, you're traveling or, you know, something happens to your house. You still got like, you know, a valid UTXO state that you have validated on your phone, like in your pocket. So, you know, yeah, and you didn't have to do any extra work to do that. It's just a thing that ran in the background. So I, I think it's all stuffed in the right direction. You know, I'm not saying that it's the most practical thing, but I think it just makes sense in just improving or making it easier to run a full node. I think every bit of research in that direction is important. Yeah. And what about uh, battery usage then? So what's your view there around, you know, if you're run- if we're running this node on our mobile, 
uh, and the battery burn down uh, and bandwidth usage. Is that manageable in your view? Well, so that's why I say it's it's hybrid mode. So what you can do is you can set it to only start syncing um, when you're charging at home and on Wi-Fi. So that 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 was the idea behind it. Obviously, yeah. If if it's, I have it. So actually, on my phone, I have kind of a flagship Android phone, and I actually just set it to try and sync all the time, if if I'm on battery or not. And actually, for me, it's not a big issue. When I'm like when I'm going out day to day, and I mean I'm not traveling, I'm just going out to the store or whatever, and you know, it, it's fine. When I was traveling, I did have to turn it off because obviously in between airports and things, I might not have battery. But it wasn't too big of an issue. Um, so yeah, but that was the idea behind the, the hybrid mode is that you can kind of and, and actually to be fair, so the Android OS at the moment will actually, if it thinks you're using too much battery, it may turn it off itself. So I think Android also has some mechanisms around it. Um, yeah. So that's actually one thing as well, because uh, Android is getting more aggressive about shutting down background applications yeah. as well. So that's something yeah. that uh, Bitcoin or Lightning developers will have to consider that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of, I think that's what the AB core team also ran into and, and when we were working on it um, with Nauta, the same issue, I think they updated Android, which basically meant background worked a bit differently. Before, you could basically say, run in background, and it would do it. Now, you basically have to go to the OS and say, please run this in background when you think it's applicable. And um, But uh, on my phone, it kind of runs 80% of the day. So, uh, But my phone's got plenty of RAM. So I think if you're on a decent phone, and phones are getting cheaper, I think you can get a really kind of powerful Android phone for not too expensive nowadays. Um, but it's not, I found it actually, it's not too big of an issue. And to the credit of the Bitcoin core devs, they've done a lot of work that Bitcoin core isn't really that heavy, you know, yeah, it's compared coming down to now. other things. So, yeah. yeah. And from a lightning uh, point of view, what else are you looking at? Uh, one example that comes to my mind is LNURL, which uh, is a really easy way to withdraw as well. So do you want to just talk a bit about that? And if you see applications there? Definitely, that's something we're definitely adding into the game and adding into our... Sorry, would you mind, actually, just for the listeners who don't know, can you just explain what that is? Oh, yeah. So, LNURL. It's basically a a protocol that... um, Actually, there's a few things in the protocol that it can do, uh, but it's just... I I would explain it as a way... LNURL is a protocol that just lets wallets and applications talk and communicate a bit more in depth. So before, the only way an application and a wallet could talk was basically you would scan an invoice that the application made on Lightning. And that's all you basically the only thing you could do was pay an invoice. Um, but as people made applications, they wanted to do stuff like they wanted, you know, an application to say open a channel to the um, to the user's wallet, or they wanted to request an invoice from the wallet that the application paid. And there was no mechanism to make that um i actually with another japanese company we actually built something before ln url with a project called den which we did something similar but ln url has become the standard it's just kind of you know just the the protocol for applications to talk to wallets so one of the aspects that um we're quite interested in for gaming is the idea that if you want the game to send your wallet a tip or some um, bitcoin uh, the game can basically um, request the wallet to make an invoice and then it can 
the wallet will send the invoice to the game and the game can pay it. And in, 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 in it's such a smooth way that the user doesn't have to do anything. They just press a button, you know, give me a tip and the protocol handles it. Yeah, I might I might just explain that. So one example there might be right now, if you wanted to withdraw from some service without LNURL, it might ask you, hey, go and generate an invoice, paste it in, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. now with, with the use of LNURL, it can literally, they can just show a QR, your wallet, you pull it out and you scan that and then it will do a withdrawal that way. Not just you paying, but you can now withdraw using yeah. LNURL in a smooth way, right? Even smoother than that. So what we want to do is literally, if you have your wallet and a game on the phone you press press button in, uh, on the game and it basically just kind of does it all behind right? you don't have to actually scan anything so yeah but as um you said um stefan you, you you know for like web applications you can just scan it and it'll send you a tip so it just makes that a bit, a bit easier it's also i think the protocol has room for growth so actually we're proposing um we're going to propose some protocols to allow um like streaming between players non-custodial we want to try and get that into ln url so other wallets can implement it as well and other game developers and game sdks can implement it as well so it's just yes a really cool protocol just to add new features um to lightning yeah anything else in lightning that you're excited for in the let's say short to medium term oh it's so much you know (laughs) it's like yeah the thing, like from a technical point of view, I'm just I'm, I'm quite in, in, interested in it. You know, it's, people say it's a lot, but um, L2 and you know, if Ccash no input gets added, I think that all not won't necessarily affect us too much from a gaming point of view. But I just think it's going to make the Lightning um, software a bit safer and a bit more economical. Um, I'm quite interested in stuff like channel factories. Um, I spoke to um, Roast Beef from Lightning Labs, and he's quite hyped about channel factories in gaming and there's a lot of cool stuff that you could do um it just basically would make like streaming between players even more efficient and cheaper and um you could also uh, roast beef was explaining a lot of stuff to me that went over my head sometimes as as it happens but i think channel factories are going to be pretty important for gaming because you could have this you know a channel factory like if you think of like an mmo and in mmo you have guilds and clans where players get together like the clan could open a channel factory together and everybody in the guild could control like this channel factory. Uh, so you know, there's definitely some cool stuff with that. Um, I, I, to be honest, I'm quite into, it sounds a bit kind of arrogant, but the most thing I'm interested in is like getting my games out there and like adding streaming and doing the esports. you know, we're actually going to hold a, an esports event at advancing Bitcoin in London. It's going to be, I think it'll be the first lightning esports event where we're going to have two, um, you know, known Bitcoiners are going to battle each other in the game. So we're going to make their characters in the game. So they'll fight each other and the audience can like stream them sets to like give them power-ups. Oh, that's like awesome. Mario Kart power-ups. Some could help them, some could add health and some could like hurt them. You know, there could be some wild cards there. So that's what we're building. That's going to be exciting. Um, yeah. And we're also, um, we're going to have a workshop at Advancing Bitcoin as well. We're, we really want to get other game developers out there and like get them using lightning so we're gonna run a workshop so those are kind of the things i'm I'm quite looking forward to yeah that's awesome i'm actually going to be at advancing bitcoin so i'll definitely see you there and i'll uh definitely try and uh, get to to those events 
battling somebody yeah sure sure (laughs) (laughs) um okay cool so look i think we're just about coming to time but uh maybe just let the listeners know are you looking for any you know uh, what can they do if they want to follow zebedee are you you, are you hiring who do you want to hear from anything like that yeah um, well i think the simplest thing is to go to um just to follow us on twitter and um I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, uh, probably be a link there. Um, and you can also visit our website at zebedee.io. And the best thing to do is to subscribe to our mailing list uh, and that'll keep people up to date. At the moment, we're actually building out the tools. So I think the, the, the first thing, like the first major release we plan to do will be around advancing Bitcoin. And then the main thing we're looking for at the moment is actually other games um, like indie developers, you know, you don't have to be a big studio or a small studio. You could just be an individual. We just want to get, um, we'd like to talk to developers who are interested um, in using our APIs and SDK. So we'd like to work with them and help them, you know, add lightning to the game. So if they, if anybody wants to reach out to us, just send us a message on Twitter or um, email us from the link on our website. We'd love to talk to you. Fantastic. Well, look, I think uh, it's really exciting. I'm really excited to see where this all goes. So uh, thanks for joining me, Chris. 2020 is going to be crazy. Hope you enjoy the show, guys. My website has the show notes and transcript. Go to stefanlevera.com. This is episode 132. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.